Well, what does it mean to be free? When you think of that, that word, freedom, and I'm not talking about like national freedom or something on, on a larger scale like that, but individual, personal freedom. What, what comes to your mind when you hear that word? Personal freedom, individual freedom. This is a cue, right? I'm actually waiting. Sorry, a few there, right? Right here. No worries. Okay, great. No worries. What else? Yeah, choices. What else? Okay, church without killed. Yep. Um, so, um, yeah, it kind of goes with choices, right? Yeah. Other things? Hmm? Braveheart. Okay, we think of freedom, right? Yeah. That great scene. Well, kind of a haunting scene, but powerful scene. Other things? I mean, frankly, just being able to do whatever you want, right? I mean, that's, that's what I think of when I think of personal freedom. Uh, you know, I, I think of maybe of financial independence or of, um, you know, freedom of social constraints, uh, freedom from other people's demands and expectations. I mean, kind of like a, an all-inclusive vacation, right? I mean, it's, it's sort, of, sort of the good life, isn't it? I mean, kids, you might, you might think of freedom from your parents' rules, right? Freedom to eat as much candy as you want, uh, to stay up as late as you want, to watch as much TV as you want, to not do your homework, and to be mean to your brother, right? We all have different understandings of freedom. As, as adults, for me, you know, just imagine a quiet house with nothing to do, right? It's hard to even picture that, isn't it? Um, I, I was having a conversation a few days ago with a, a good friend. We were talking about our, our love languages and the way our love languages have changed over the years. You know, love languages are things like, you know, physical touch or words of affirmation, quality time. And he and I both decided that now that we have young kids, our love language, our primary love language is, would somebody please just leave me alone for a minute, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's freedom. That's sort of, sort of what we go after. We want that kind of, of independence, so often we, we, we interpret personal freedom as autonomy. Accountable to no one. Free from anybody's control. Able to do our own thing, whatever that happens to look like. And this kind of freedom, right, defined as autonomy, as personal independence, I mean, has become inarguably probably the highest value in Western culture. Freedom of personal expression and individual autonomy. It's, it's my body, it's my time, it's my sexuality, it's my money, it's, it's all about me, right? It's, it's my life. And the key word so often here is my, right? Become so self-focused. Our definition of freedom, for many of us, and our, our practice of freedom, our pursuit of freedom, is fundamentally selfish. But the selfish will never be free. The selfish will never be free. And I know that, that some of you, you, you hear that phrase, and right away you're like, all right, yeah, Nathan's going to harp on selfishness, selfishness for, for a while, and you've got, you've got a list of people in your mind who you really wish could hear this message, Right? You've already maybe given an elbow to the person sitting next to you. Listen up, you got to hear this. Well, I'm not talking to them, okay? Come on, who do you think you are? Um, this is for all of us. Because I, I would venture to guess that there's nobody on the planet you love more than you. 
Nobody you daydream about more. Nobody whose happiness you are more deeply vested in. And even though you may never actually admit it aloud, and some of you right now, you know, think I'm crazy for even saying it, but I would guess you are your favorite person. You are. I'm my favorite person. I mean, I, I should know, right? I am, I am perhaps one of the most selfish, self-centered people I have ever met. I mean, I, I worship getting my own way. I, I expect my friends and family to revolve around me, to listen to my stories, uh, to affirm my desires, to, to give me my freedom, to make me feel good, to fit my schedule, right? That's my expectation. That, that to me is so quickly what freedom is in my life, but that's not freedom. That's slavery to my own ego and whims. And my selfish attempts at freedom only lead me deeper into slavery. I mean, just think about that. If you define freedom as the ability to eat as much candy as you possibly want, it's not freedom. It's just a new form form of slavery, right? It's called diabetes. Or if if you build your life saying financial freedom, right? Financial, I'm serious, right? Financial freedom, that's that's my thing. We're going to get there. But if, if that is your freedom, you will end up a slave to the stock market, slave to money, slave to your own desires or to work, or if you say, my, my goal is to have freedom from other people's expectations and demands, you will become a slave to superficial relationships. We define freedom as autonomy. I need no one, and I'm accountable to no one. But that's not true freedom. I mean, do you really want to build your life on candy? Of course not. It's ridiculous. And yet we try to build it on money and stuff and success and approval. What's the difference? I mean, either way, it's, it's all about you. It's all about me. The selfish will never be free. Because God has a very different definition of, of freedom. God uses words like, like submission, Right? Words like surrender, when he talks about freedom, like self-forgetfulness. I mean, imagine that, right? Actually being able to forget about yourself for a moment. God's definition of freedom is love. This is his definition of freedom. And you cannot be autonomous and loving at the same time. It's just not even possible. John Stott, one of the great theologians, writes, True freedom is not freedom from all responsibility to God and man in order to live for myself, but the exact opposite. True freedom is freedom from myself and from the cramping tyranny of my own self-centeredness in order to live in love for God and others. Only in such self-giving love is an authentically free and human existence to be found. Did you hear that? True freedom It's freedom from myself. The selfish will never be free. In that text we just heard, read from Galatians, we see the goal of freedom, the enemy of freedom, the source of freedom, and the walk of freedom. And if we all long for freedom, and I know we do, every one of us here, if this is truly what we long for, and yet 
our definition and God's definition of freedom is, is very different, then we've got to do some work together, don't we? So if you have a Bible with you, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Now, now once again, as we look at Galatians 5, it, it's Paul writing, and he's writing to a church in conflict. Okay? This is kind of a pattern when Paul writes these letters, right? And, and he spends really this entire letter trying to figure out what does it mean to be free. This, this letter is all about freedom. And Paul argues that Jesus died and rose again for our freedom. Freedom from sin and, and self, freedom from, from death, freedom in order to love. That's, that's what Paul is, is saying in this letter. That's what freedom is. You see, in that church, that ancient church there, there were kind of two groups of, of Christians. And, and one of the groups was, was saying that, you know, if you are going to be a Christian, if you're going to follow Jesus, you've also got to follow all the details of the Old Testament law, including, and perhaps especially, snip snip, circumcision, okay? And for the, the Jewish believers in Jesus, who were all already circumcised as babies, this was just like, you know, no big deal, Right? I mean, who cares, right? They can, they can require anything because they've already, they've already done it. It's passed. And as a result of their circumcision, they believe that they were, you know, a, a cut above the rest, right? Wink, wink, wink. Sorry. There's like a whole class in seminary on circumcision humor. Sorry. Um, couldn't resist. So that, that's if you were a Jewish believer. But imagine now for a moment if you were an adult, male, Gentile, recently converted to Jesus. You've just given your life to this, this person, this, this Jesus. And now you're being told, as if that wasn't enough, right? This incomplete transformation that out of their, in the midst of their, their pagan culture towards Jesus, now they're finding out that to be a member of the church, they also had to be circumcised. I mean, that would be more than a little bit of a hurdle, right? I mean, all we require is a two-week membership class, Right? seems kind of extreme. And so Paul has just spent the last four and a half chapters in Galatians saying, no, no, freedom comes from Christ alone, through faith alone, by his grace alone, that there's nothing we could possibly do or add. We are free because of what Jesus has done for us. And this is really good news, right? For all of us, Jew and Gentile alike. But Paul knows how easy it is for then us humans to abuse this freedom. We're not the first people to take freedom just a little bit too far. And so in verse 13, Paul reminds these new Christians the goal of their freedom. He says essentially you, you, can, you can use your, your newfound freedom in Christ for yourself or for others. And you can probably guess which one Paul is, is recommending, right? Look what he says, beginning in verse 13. He says, For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Okay, when Paul talks about the flesh, he's talking about our, our fallen sinful nature, that which is still broken and fundamentally selfish within us. But rather than doing that, he says, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, 
Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The goal of freedom is not self-gratification. Self-gratification takes, devours, consumes. Our selfishness, Paul is saying, is like cannibalism. It's, it's disgusting. It is, it is unhuman. It is wrong for us to even think about devouring one another, but that is exactly what they're doing, and that's exactly what selfishness is. The goal, he says, is love. And love always provides always cares, always nurtures, always seeks out. And Paul is saying, where there is love, there's freedom. I mean, just for example, think about this in the context of of your home. I mean, imagine if everyone in your home or in your closest network of relationships was most concerned about their own freedom, defined by autonomy. I mean, imagine the chaos that would ensue. And I, I mean, really... You know, who are you kidding, right? You don't really have to imagine that, do you? I mean, we, we see that. We see that worked out all the time in our, in our families, and we call it freedom. And when, you're, when your roommate forgets once again to do her dishes, right? Is that really freedom? When your husband once again ignores the entire family so that he can watch the game, is that really freedom? When your wife complains about you to all of her friends, is that freedom? When your brother rips your toy out of your hands or your sister continues to annoy you on purpose, is that really freedom? I mean, it looks like freedom. Everybody there is doing what they want. But those things kill love, destroys relationship. I mean, I would guess that 95% of the relational strain in my house, my family, comes down to somebody's selfishness. Probably Kelly's, right? I mean. <laughs> yeah, I think you, you all know better than that, right? Right here. And yet we call it freedom, don't we? And yet nobody wants to live like that. I mean, you might as well just cannibalize each other. We all want to be free. But ask yourself, Why do I want to be free? I mean, if the answer to that question is all about you, you do not understand true freedom, and you will never be free. I mean, you might be be free to, you know, say whatever you want, do whatever you want, buy whatever you want, but Jesus sets you free for love. The selfish will never be free. Because selfishness is the enemy of freedom, the enemy of love. I mean, chances are it's wreaking havoc in your work, in your marriage, at your school. Selfishness equals death, unequivocally. And Paul makes that incredibly clear here. Look what he, look what he says in verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh, again, that selfishness within us, are evident. And these are the, the selfish things that we think will give us freedom, but only tend to enslave Long list, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and just in case I've forgotten anything, Paul adds, and things that are like these. This is just the short list of things that that you and I tend to live for that we think will make us free, but only tend to leave us trapped. And everything in this list is fundamentally selfish 
And everything here undermines relationship. Let me just think about this for a moment. The first three are sexual sins, right? Basically, sex with anyone you're not married to, and and certainly that would include lust. Now think about this for a moment, because I would guess there are few men in this room who don't, at least at first glance, first glance, crave that kind of freedom. And many of you are attempting to live that freedom out. You know, maybe in the privacy of your own computer or, or whatever, maybe some illicit relationship, or whatever the case may be. And all too many of you know the slavery that your freedom has become. And if you're so free, why don't you stop looking? Stop lusting. Stop sleeping with your girlfriend. If you're so free, just try to stop and see what happens. Or what about drunkenness at the the end of the list there? Or orgies, which it's not what you think. It's more of a, kind of an excessive feasting is the idea of, of gluttony by, by when Paul uses that word. So what about food? I mean, if, if you're so free, why don't your diets ever work? If, if, if you're so free, why, why do you always te- tend to maybe just drink just a tiny little bit too much? I mean, if that's freedom... What about that middle, long section, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy? Some of you are thinking, that just sounds exactly like the place I work, right? It's my office. Some of you are saying, man, Paul knows my marriage, doesn't he? He knows it perfectly. Those, Those words describe us exactly. I mean, if you're so free, why can't you control your anger? If you're so free, why can't you stop envying what everybody else has for like a minute? What we think is freedom, a life pursuing stuff or sex or essentially just always getting my way all the time. And I mean, that that sounds like freedom, doesn't it? That sounds like the good life, always getting my way all of the time. But don't kid yourself. If that describes you, you are a slave. Ask yourself, where am I looking for freedom? That reminds me, yesterday, with all of the the wind and and whatnot, um, I was working in the garage, and I I looked out. um, The door was open, and I saw a dog, like half running from his master, and half, I mean, literally blowing like a tumbleweed down the center of our street. I mean, it was a little tiny dog, and it was just like, I mean, just all over the place. And then it would, it would get, get its bearing, and then it would keep running, right? And then it would just start spinning, and just completely out of control. And so I ran over, you know, and got in front of it and, and, and grabbed it. But I would guess that dog in that moment really thought he had freedom, right? Because he kept running. You know, he, he did not want to turn around and go the other direction. He kept running, but he was being more blown by, his, by the wind than by his, by his legs, that, that's, that's the kind of slavery, the kind of freedom we think we have, but this kind of slavery that it so quickly becomes. And so ask yourself again, where am I looking for freedom? If your search for freedom is focused on you, 
you will never be free. And just a warning here. I mean, this is scary, but never means never. And those, aren't, those aren't my words, those are Paul's. Look at the end of verse 21. Look what he says. He says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things, that long list, will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you don't find freedom from your selfishness, you will be selfish forever. Always consumed with your desires, with meeting your needs, with getting your way. I mean, that is hell, isn't it? That's what Paul says. If your life is defined by these things, you've not met Jesus. I mean, certainly Christians can struggle with these things, and that's, that's different, right? The, there's, there's something about a struggle versus being defined by them. But if your life is defined by things on this list, Paul is saying that you have no place with God. I mean, just think about that. What kind of kingdom is God making? The, the very centerpiece of our story is an innocent man dying for guilty people. The most selfless act ever committed. Those who are dominated by self don't fit in this kingdom. The king won't allow his kingdom to be spoiled with the terminally selfish. It's a pretty strong warning, isn't it? So you'd better find a way out. And the only way for the terminally selfish to find true freedom is through the source of all freedom himself. That's where Paul's going. The the contrast to the selfish life of the flesh is life in the spirit. Verse 22. Here's the contrast. But, Paul says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is freedom. The Holy Spirit alive within you. If you are a follower of Jesus... This describes you. These nine words, these incredible characteristics, they belong on your resume. Because this is what the Holy Spirit does, right? This is God's Spirit equipping you, empowering you, convicting you, guiding you, comforting you, making you free, killing all selfishness. This is our hope for freedom. Okay, Nathan, so let me see if I'm following, following you here. Uh, the selfish will never be free, and I really want to be free, so what I need to do is, like, try really hard and become these things, right? That's, that's how we think, right? So, you know, I, I, I'm okay with patience. I'm not very good with self-control. I've got a little goodness. So this week I'm going to work on faithfulness, and next week I'll work on gentleness, and, you know, after a few months I'll be, you know, free and filled with the Spirit. Is that... Is that right? No, no, it's not right. Of course it's not right. This is the Spirit's work within you. That that means if you are a Christian, God has already begun this process of working these things into your life through Jesus. They're already there. And these aren't individual fruits either. I mean, sometimes that's how we think of it, right? This list of nine, you know, we got to get a few. I'm already got a couple here. And like we can kind of make it to five out of the nine or something and feel good enough. But the noun that Paul uses is singular. It's one fruit that we're given. And that, that one fruit contains nine different aspects, these nine beautiful virtues. They're a package deal. They're the inevitable result of life with God. That's why Paul says we are already free. 
This is the life we were created for. We weren't created to be selfish. We were created to be givers, not takers. And through the Spirit, we become who we were always meant to be. Now, this fruit doesn't make you a Christian, okay? Like you kind of, if you get these nine things and you're, you're in, you're fine, you're good. It's not, that's not it at all. But a Christian, somebody filled with God's Spirit, will bear fruit. An example of this, an apple on an apple tree doesn't make the tree alive, right? I mean, you can tie apples to a dead tree and the tree is still dead. And yet, when you see fruit on a tree, it is usually a really good sign that there is life in that tree. If you've met Jesus... You have his spirit within you. And if you have his spirit, you have his fruit. You will begin to be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You will not be characterized by that other list. And that is freedom. Well, Nathan, if I knew it was going to be so easy to become awesome, I would have done it a long time ago. We know better than that, don't we? It's not easy. I mean, yes, this is the Spirit's work, but you and I have a role as well. Paul says four different ways he says it throughout this passage. He says, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. In verse 25, he says, live by the Spirit. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. All of these kinds of walking metaphors, right? This, this path that we are on. It's the idea of submission, of following his lead, of walking in his footsteps. One commentator writes, believers are not summoned to love or live a life worthy of God on the basis of their own abilities. And praise God for that, right? Because the power of the Holy Spirit is the only, the only, the only means by which believers can do what God commands. So what does this walk look like? How do we keep in step with the Spirit? Well, I think there, there are four things that flow out of this that we can talk about for, for application here, of how we actually move into this life of freedom and actually live it out, not just, not just say we have it, not just feel a little bit better about ourselves, but actually begin to experience the change that the Spirit longs to do in us. Four things. First, we keep in step with the Spirit by expecting the path to be hard. I don't want to overlook that one because, yes, it is the Spirit's work. This is something He does, but no, don't expect it to be easy. Killing selfishness is not something we do with a single bullet. Go back to verse 16, for example. It's where Paul, Paul said, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For, those, for these are opposed to each other to keep you, listen to this, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. The Spirit and the flesh are at, are at war. Your selfish heart, my selfish heart, and this, this path to freedom... To love, it's at war. I mean, don't, don't get discouraged. I mean, the path to freedom, any revolutionary will tell you the path to freedom is always a hard path. And if you're struggling, right? Struggling to, to embrace, the struggling to actually experience the change that the Spirit promises and is already working in us, that struggle in itself is a good sign. And we don't often see it as that way. We think, well, it'd either be one way or the other. It'd be fixed or it'd just be awful. And, uh, so often, the life that we live is, is going to be right in the middle of the struggle. In fact, if you're not struggling with selfishness, there's a good chance that you've just given up already, right? 
You just sort of said, well, this is who I am, and you're just living a selfish life. But in the very struggle itself, it says that the Spirit is at work in your life. Because every one of us has selfishness that lives in our heart. Every one of us needs to change and grow and, and experience what it's like to, to live out the Spirit's life within us. The very fact of the struggle is a good sign of the Spirit's work. And second, never walk alone. Um, this isn't something you can do by yourself. You know, you know just try harder and, and poof, you have the, the fruit of the Spirit. This is the Spirit's work, but that doesn't mean we're just passive in the process either. So what is our role? I mean, you can't manipulate this, the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, to, to do what you want, to, to add different things to your life. You just, you can't do that. And yet we can put ourselves in places where the Spirit does his best work. Can't we? We have, we have that under control. Like solitude, for example, clearly. I mean, if, if we see it so often. The, the, the Holy Spirit works in our lives when we set aside a moment of quiet. I mean, many of us don't see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives because we just, we're too distracted. We're too busy. We're always running. We don't quiet ourselves enough to let him do his work. And, and the Spirit also works when we pray, when we read our Bibles. The Spirit works when you confess your sins, your selfishness to others, and ask for their forgiveness. The Spirit works when you seek community to support you, accountability to strengthen you. And in Galatians 6, for example, Paul says that those who live by the Spirit confront and restore one another. They also carry each, other, each other's burdens and, and encourage one another. The Spirit walks with us as we walk with others who have that same Spirit within them. We can experience it through others. This path is is too hard to walk alone. The the roots of selfishness are way too deep. Put yourself where the Spirit works and walk with Him. Third, third, sometimes take baby steps. I think sometimes we don't see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives Um, myself included here, because we, just, we don't take any steps. We don't take any appropriate steps, even, even small ones. We think that if, if it's going to happen, it's got to be something big and massive, and we've got to be all in, and we've got to feel it all the time. But that lingering selfishness often dies just one tiny step at a time. I mean, think about this. In practical ways, what are, what, what's an area, even later on today, this afternoon, that you can, you can kill just a little bit of selfishness in your heart? We can choose to practice selflessness for somebody else. I mean, how can you serve someone even if, maybe especially if you really don't want to serve them? I mean, how can you encourage your spouse even though they don't deserve it? And it's the last thing you want to do. How can you give more of yourself to a friend when it already feels like they have taken so much from you? How can you, how can we practice selflessness? Because at the end of the day, you can't wait until you feel like being selfless to act selfless. You can't wait until you feel like you have all these warm, gushy feelings of love to actually start loving people. Sometimes you just have to trust that God's spirit lives within you and therefore you have these things and then jump in. I mean, even say, God, I don't, I don't feel like it. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this for this person. And yet, God, I trust that your Holy Spirit is within me. And therefore, what lives in me is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It lives there. And even though I don't feel it, God, I choose to believe that it's there. And move forward. And do it anyway. Even baby steps. 
What small step away from selfishness and toward true freedom can you take today with the Spirit's help? Finally, if we're going to live this out, we've got to celebrate the victor. Because this is, this is Paul's whole, whole point right? in this, this letter that Christ has already set us free. This has already happened for us. You and I, we already are love, joy, peace, patience, on and on and on. And so with the Spirit's help, we, we can live it out. I mean, look, look what he says in verse 24. Paul says, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. My selfishness and yours has already met its match. It has already died on the cross with Jesus, nailed there with him. And just think about Jesus, for example, right? I mean, Jesus, could anybody possibly be freer than God? Of course not. It doesn't get any freer. Anybody who can do whatever he wants. I mean, that's, that's God, and yet Jesus willingly allowed himself to hang on a cross, putting his freedom aside, essentially, so that you and I, people who are rebellious and fundamentally selfish, could find the freedom that he has to be set free, to love others, to care for others, to freedom from the tyranny that is myself and my sin, forgiven and whole, and his spirit now lives within you. This one who hung on a cross, who gave up everything, lives in you. And there may be times in your life when it's really hard to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, hidden deep within the crevices of our broken hearts. But Christ is alive in you. And he will make you into the person you long to be. Rejoice. Celebrate. And cry out with Paul in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, here is the life we're looking for. Here is the joy you're desperate for. Here is freedom.